You're listening to the Queerly Books Podcast with Rob Gillett. Hello and welcome to the Queerly Books Podcast with me, Rob Gillett. You can find me talking about LGBTQ plus books on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Queerly Books. My guest on this episode is Benjamin Dean, and we're talking all about his YA debut, The Queer Black Royal Reimagining, The King is Dead. Hello there, welcome to the show. First thing to say is a big thank you for all the lovely comments on the last episode with Celia Lasky. Uh, What a fantastic guest and a great way to officially launch the Queerly Books podcast. If you've not heard it yet, it is available now wherever you're listening to this, but maybe do that afterwards. Um, And some standard podcast stuff, which I'm sure you don't need to be told if you've ever listened to a podcast, uh, but just in case, make sure you follow the show wherever you listen. And if you've got a few spare minutes, please do leave a rating or review. Okay, let's get my guest on. Benjamin Dean is a London-based children's and now YA author. His first book, Me, My Dad and the End of the Rainbow, was a Waterstones Children's Book of the Month and went on to be shortlisted for their Children's Book Prize. His latest, The King is Dead, is receiving rave reviews and has been described as Gossip Girl, but make it royal. And he joins me now to talk all about it. Benjamin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I am good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, thanks. Um, can I call you Ben? What do you prefer? Um, it's a bit of a tricky one. Benjamin Dean is my author name, and I don't like Ben Dean. It sounds a bit strange in my head, okay. but I like people to call me Ben. Okay. So it's a bit confusing for everybody. So, we will... so if you're calling me by my full name, Benjamin Dean, but you can call me Ben. I'll call you Ben, otherwise I feel like it sounds like I'm telling you off. Um, yeah, Benjamin's very what my mum calls me. When yeah, I'm well, yeah, so. I get Robert is very rare, but when I do get that, I know... Um, I've been caught, basically. <laughs> um, all right. Um, we're going to talk about your new book, The King is Dead, which is out now. A royal reimagining full of scandalous secrets, roller coaster romances, and one hell of a mystery. Please tell us more. Yeah. Uh, so The King is Dead is my YA debut. Um, it reimagines the British monarchy with a black and queer royal family. Um, it follows the story of 17-year-old James, who at the very beginning to, uh, beginning of the story, he ascends to the throne. Um, he's been a very reluctant heir for his whole life. And now he's kind of been bestowed this duty that he really does not want. Uh, he wants to keep all of his secrets close to his chest. But when his uh, secret boyfriend goes missing, then all of his secrets start to leak out into the open. Uh, very uh, gossip girl, but make it royal, I think, is the official pitch line <laughs> that we went with. <laughs> OK, uh, so where did this idea come from? Um, because I am a homosexual, um, it came from my love of Princess Diana documentaries, of course. Right. Um, I am a huge fan of, I love Princess Diana and I love the story of Princess Diana. I think it's, um, just such an enthralling story, if not kind of morbid. Um, but especially during the pandemic, I'd kind of fallen back into watching Princess Diana documentaries. And I think as an, as an author and as a writer, my imagination is always going. So when I see something that's slightly ticks an interest i'm like oh what would happen if i set a story there (laughs) um and so for me i was i'm always very i guess you can call me nosy i don't know how to mind my own business sometimes um and i was just intrigued by this concept of one person or one thing being able to shake the monarchy to a point where it almost looks like it could fall down and i was like i wonder what goes on behind closed doors when there's a public scandal so i started to think about setting a story in buckingham palace and kind of exploring what might be going on behind closed doors when there is a scandal um and then obviously because well 
I, know, I wouldn't say I'm a narcissist or I'm vain or anything, but I started to think, well, what would happen if the king looked like me and identified like me? And I was like, well, what would happen if we did have a black monarch? What would happen if we had a gay monarch? So I started to think like that. And then I obviously added a bit of dramatic flair. So we have these mysterious green envelopes that start appearing in Buckingham Palace, very Gossip Girl vibes. Um, and yeah, the story kind of took off from there. Okay, so you've, we've established that you're a fan of Princess Diana, and we'll get into some of those specifics from the story in a moment. Uh, but I'm interested to know more generally what you think about the real royal family and their role in society. Um, did you have your bunting up for the Platinum Jubilee? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I think something I figured out when I, I, I kind of observed the monarchy from afar with kind of morbid intrigue, I, I guess. Like I'm intrigued by them as an institution, just in terms of the fact that they kind of change with the times to kind of ensure their survival and they kind of have to change or else the whole establishment just falls down and doesn't work. Um, I'm definitely not a royalist. I, I, I'm, I just don't care enough about any of them to to be bothered, I don't think. Um, but I definitely did not have bunting up for the Platinum <laughs> Jubilee. I was in a beer garden. I had a fantastic time uh, celebrating my friends not working. Um, but yeah, definitely not a, uh, a royalist. Good, okay. Well, I suspected that might have been your answer. Um, now, look, I love The King is Dead. It's totally gripping from beginning to end. As well as that kind of mystery element, which you've referred to at the heart of the story, it also tackles the racism that's inherent within British society and the establishment. How was it when you were writing the book, kind of bringing those two elements together? Um, it felt very natural to me because the story itself is set in a you know real world setting. It's just like an alternate reality where we have a, a black royal family. Um, and I did have to be very honest with myself and when I asked the question of what would happen if we had a black monarch or a black horror family, I mean, I didn't exactly have to look very far for an example. Um, obviously, last year we had a lot of uh, news on Meghan Markle and um, I'd been working as a celebrity reporter at the time. And, you know, I'd seen firsthand the difference in reporting and the difference in treatment um, uh, with stories regarding Meghan versus, say, Kate. Um, and, yeah, I just I, I didn't necessarily use that as um, inspiration for the book, but when I started thinking about what would happen, I just knew there would be sections, there'd be people who wouldn't agree with them being royals, they wouldn't agree with, they would kind of assume they'd kind of got their way into the palace through some kind of trickery or something. Um, and yeah, I just had to be very honest with myself and with the story as I was writing, I wasn't gonna sugarcoat it, sugarcoat it in any way. Um, so it made it difficult to write at times, but I hopefully, have given a an honest story, which is what I, all I could ask for, I think. Um, it's interesting you say that it was difficult to write at times, as I wondered that reading it, um, mm. and you've really kind of tackled that issue head on and some of the situations that uh, James and the family find themselves in are, are horrible. And there's one particular moment I don't want to talk about because I think it'd be a huge spoiler where that really comes to a head. And I found that point of the book quite emotional to read actually um yeah. and totally believable which i think is the, the worst thing um you refer to the fact that you've been a celebrity reporter um mm. there is a there is a tabloid journalist who is called a key character in the book who is an ongoing kind of agitator of the family yeah. quinn buckley um hounding the family and trying to share their secrets with the world <laughs> um a, a great character 
an awful character. But I mean, is he based on anyone in particular or more of a sort of (laughs) composite of a number of terrible people? Uh, Probably the latter. (laughs) I mean, I think the natural um, comparison that everybody likes to try and nudge onto me is Piers Morgan or something along those lines. Right. Okay. Um, I didn't really take much uh, external inspiration for Quinn Buckley. Um, I think it's just an amalgamation of what I assumed might happen if we had a black royal family and a black monarchy. And uh, I've, you know, seen firsthand both as a celebrity reporter, but also as a reader, um, the kind of parasitic nature of reporting sometimes. And it didn't take much to kind of envisage a character who would be uh, hounding the family and trying desperately to kind of bring them down for any kind of scandal. Um, as awful as Quinn Buckley is, um, I, re- I did quite enjoy uh, writing him as a character. Um, he is absolutely terrible, but I think he makes a good villain to the story. Um, so he was enjoyable to write in some ways, but like I said, with it being so difficult to write in parts, I think, I don't want to, I'll ask you after we've stopped recording, <laughs> but uh, I think I know which part you're talking about. And if it is the part that I'm thinking of, um, it is my favorite chapter in the book now, but was so, it was really draining to write and it, it kind of nearly derailed me a little bit from my writing process. And, you know, I was really uh, drummed down into the draft for, I think I, I wrote it in four and a half or five weeks, which was pretty quick for me. Um, and it nearly derailed me for, for a weekend. I was really like, I don't know if I, I need to take a break or, um, but kind of looking at, the characters that I had in the story I was telling, um, and Quinn Buckley is absolutely a part of that, is kind of trying to keep the story honest and not give a sugar-coated version of it. Um, I mean, it's it's sad, really, that, that you don't have to kind of invent a Quinn Buckley because there are enough of them <laughs> around in the real world. Um, absolutely. I mean, this is a bit of a wider question, but how do you think we fix that relationship between the media and the monarchy or is it fixable? Will there always be that part of the media whose focus is on kind of dismantling them or kind of lifting the cloak back and finding out whatever's really going on? I think just in general, not even just based towards the monarchy or anything like that. I think just in general, um, people want to, uh, you know, tear people down from times and, um, you see it quite often with celebrities, just, I guess you can kind of lump the monarchy into a, a subcategory of celebrity, I, I, I guess. Um, you know, you want to build someone up and build someone up and build someone up. And then eventually you'll always get, no matter who it is, you'll always get the tipping point where suddenly they're the bad guy. And um, it happens quite a lot to to women. Um, I think it's a very unfair balance. Um, something I always noticed and always spoke about when I was, you know, doing team huddles when I was a celebrity journalist is that you'll have these celebrities like Jennifer Lawrence, for example, who will be built up and built up and everybody will love them until eventually everybody's sick of them because they see them so often on the, in their newspapers and they're like, oh, she's just trying to be relatable and oh no, she's actually awful. And then suddenly everybody that loves her now suddenly is on the opposite side and wants to tear her back down again. So I just don't, I think it's, almost like a natural instinct that people want to unfortunately <laughs> see the good in people, but also want to kind of be made to feel better about their own lives in some way. And I guess we always forget that celebrity scandal is, you know, uh, 
real people are involved and it's really um it's really easy to lose sight of that sometimes because celebrity is so far out of our reach by and large that these people just don't seem like real people they just seem like characters so uh yeah i think i don't think that's anything that will ever unfortunately change i suppose we have a possibly the worst scenario at the moment it's not that recent a thing where you've got (laughs) fiction (laughs) in (laughs) stories and films and books and then you've got reality of of celebrities whose real lives are being played out in the press but then you've got this middle bit which is like the constructed reality stuff where you Mm. don't there's so much of it and little bits of it are real but a lot of it is contrived so and I think that gives people almost permission to have this opinion and it's i think it stops people caring so much they just want the drama and the scandal and the the heartache and uh, they don't really think about the fact there's a person behind it all yeah i think there's obviously like the it's a bit of a gray area i suppose because people will feel entitled to have an opinion because a celebrity for the most part is putting their life out there to kind of be observed and if it's being observed then it's also going to be judged in one way or another. Um, But then there's the counter argument of I am here to do my job and the success that comes from my job makes me famous and I don't necessarily want to be famous and blah, blah, blah. Um, It's a very tricky uh, tightrope to walk, I think. So, um, yeah, I I am no longer a celebrity reporter anymore. So I kind of (laughs) uh, observe from uh, the back of the room now. Yeah, I guess, but with a with a, a knowledge of both sides of it, which is, I think, quite helpful. Um, yeah. Um, okay, right, let's go back to the book a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Despite the kind of regal setting, I think the story um, actually comes across as being very relatable, particularly with regard to, to James's character. He's kind of hiding his sexuality and dealing with being outed. Um, but also the racism the family face. Was it important to you to make that connection with readers, to make the story relatable to those aspects of their life? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think obviously initially when I came up with the idea, I didn't think it was relatable in any way, shape or form, because I was like, well, none of us are going to know what it's like to be an heir to the throne or be a king, um, especially a king at 17. Um yeah, I didn't think it would be very relatable. But as I started to write the story and I got to know the character of James, um, I actually think there is a lot that can be related back to just, uh, you know, our everyday experience. Um, James has to learn. James is really sensitive and he's really emotional and he's very uh, introverted. And he knows that his brother, um, Eddie, who's now first in line to the throne after him, Uh, would probably make a better king than him because he's more charismatic and confident and outgoing. Um, And something that was not necessarily intentional at the very beginning, but I realised quite early on, was that there needed to be a lot of growth in James's character. And so while he steps into his role feeling very nervous about his secrets leaking and about finding himself, the story is about him kind of stepping into his power and learning how to be his own version of a king and learning how to um yeah just kind of step into that power and harness that power and not be afraid of who he is and that is in terms of you know who he is as a black man who, um who he is as a gay man and 
And yeah, I, I hope that that's somewhat relatable to people in everyday life that, you know, aren't sitting behind the gates of Buckingham Palace. <laughs> no, I absolutely think it is. And I think that's one of the reasons the story works so well. Um, right. I've got some questions about The King is Dead from followers of Queerly Books on Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. The first one is from Jack, who is at JTH Books. Uh, he says, you've written so many brilliant characters in the book. Which one is your favourite and why? Oh, also, hi, Jack. I recognise that app. So, hi, Jack. Um, who's my favourite character and why was that? Yes, yeah. Uh, I think, obviously, I have to say James because he's my main character and I, I spent the most time with him. But if we're not including James, I would maybe say... Oh, this is kind of controversial. I would say Princess Cassandra. Cassandra <laughs> is kind of... Uh, similar to Quinn Buckley is kind of an antagonist in fact is definitely an antagonist of the story um, and is uh, a really not a very nice person at all she's absolutely awful but the reason I like her so much is because she leans into the stereotypically mean girl vibe of like noughties TV shows and movies and that was absolutely what I modelled her off you know I modelled her off a very Regina George but in a tiara kind of thing um (laughs) And it's so I could very much imagine like a Lindsay Lohan type character playing her in a movie or something. So I um, really had a lot of fun uh, making her character and kind of making her awful, which sounds bad because, you know, at her core, she is uh, racist and power hungry and will do anything to kind of get herself on the throne. But um, she was an enjoyable villain to create, I would say. I really liked that character. I think she's wonderfully camp at times because she sort of so delivers the killer line and then leaves the room, <laughs> just very, dropping bombs everywhere. Yeah, it's very. It, you have to try to find line with uh, you know leaving a mic drop and a you know a zinger of a line to walk away from a scene in because it usually comes across very pantomime. Um, and my editor did have to pull me back a few times from being like that doesn't quite sound very realistic here. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, no, I would say she was her dialogue was a lot of fun to write but i would also say on the flip side not me just naming all of my characters but um the queen mother alexandra i think she is the most wonderfully flawed character um i she's absolutely so far from perfect and creating that far from perfect character uh was a lot of fun for me so i'm really proud of her the most out of all the characters i think there's a real warmth that comes from the the Queen Mother character, I think. Yeah. Um, and also, it similarly goes on a, a, a journey through the book to kind mm. of find her role. But we can't talk about that because it's too spoiler <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, next question is from Nicole, who is forever book wandering. Um, oh, hi, she, first of all, she asks, why are you so awesome? Which is a nice question. Oh, I can't possibly um, answer that question. It's yeah, very difficult to answer. And the next <laughs> bit I don't quite understand, but she says, why do you hate James so much? Poor, poor James. <laughs> uh, I have seen Nicole at plenty of events over the last few weeks, <laughs> and I've been asked this question. Um, yeah, I put James through a lot. I can't lie. There is a lot of stuff that poor James goes through. Um, but I hope it, it deals to make him, it serves to make him stronger. Um, it's not nice to put your characters through so much awful stuff. Um, and as I said, it was difficult to write at times. But uh, if you go through the difficult part and you find some strength from it, then I think that's hopefully inspirational and is uh, hopeful, which is kind of what I wanted to uh, land with James yeah absolutely and I think that's that's totally what happens with his character um, so I don't, I, I, don't do th- 
Oh, yeah, I, I do don't think Helen back. So. I don't think you hate him though. I think you you love no, him. I love him. I love him so much. Um, okay, and the last question comes from Kelly, who is at okay. Kelly MCF six, and she wants to know, and so do I actually. She wants to know: Will you ever do a sequel? <laughs> um, I, do you know what? I absolutely would. I left it on an open-ish ending. It's not like the biggest cliffhanger in the world, so if I don't ever write another one, it's fine. Um, but I personally know where the story goes from here and I know where the story definitely ends. Um, I have an idea for another story and I absolutely love the world. Um, and something I'd really like to do in a sequel is explore the outside world a bit more because King is Dead is quite claustrophobic. It's very set in the palace and we rarely go anywhere else apart from the palace. Um, and that's on purpose, you know, to give this kind of claustrophobic feel. Um, but I would love to explore the outside world as a royal so uh all i can say is continue to buy the book so my publisher thinks that it is worthwhile <laughs> doing a sequel yeah good well i really want one so i'm right behind that message uh some great questions there don't forget you can find queerly books on twitter queerly underscore books and instagram queerly dot books uh, so come and follow me there and say hi if you are listening right ben uh, i want to turn your attention to books written by other people now um so the first question is what are you currently reading or what new and kind of recent books are you excited about okay now this i'm so glad you've asked this question actually because so many people asked me in the lead up to king publishing if i'd read this book and i hadn't and the reason why was because i didn't want to influence me too much but i'm currently reading red white and royal blue i am somehow one of the only people in the world who have not read it yet (laughs) but obviously because they sit I guess somewhat next to each other because they have royalty involved. Like yeah, the yeah. Common ground here. People always ask, oh my God, were you inspired by Red, White and Royal Blue? And I wish I could say yes, but um, I wasn't inspired by Red, White and Royal Blue and I'm just reading it now and I do love it. It's very, very steamy. I was very, <laughs> I was kind of taken by surprise. Yeah. I was suddenly like, oh, we're, 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 we're having a nice pure and innocent story. Oh no, never mind. There's blowjobs. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> but, um, I have the same, the cover of that, but I know that there's a very old saying about that, but the cover of that book does not suggest no. what's going to be in there. It's very steamy. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I, it's literally right on my desk in front of me. I'm just over halfway through and once the sexy times start, they don't really start. <laughs> I was expecting maybe one scene. I was like, okay, right, we've had the one steamy scene, that'll be it. But oh, they keep going. And I I love it. So I will continue to be reading this book. Um, and then I just recently finished uh, Gay Club by Simon James Green, which, oh my God, uh, I love Simon so much anyway, but I've never laughed out loud at a book so much in my life. I, it's difficult to make me laugh, but I think the realism in what it's like to grow up in a British school mixed with what it's like to be part of the LGBTQ plus community and giving a real honest insight to both. I was in bits all the time. I was laughing in the cafe, on the tube, on my sofa. People were looking at me, giving me strange glances like, what is that boy reading? Um, but yeah, those are the two books that I am um, reading slash have read recently um gay clubs absolutely fantastic simon's a big 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 friend of the show uh, and in fact we've got a quote that says fabulous on the cover from queerly major <laughs> which is actually me i said fabulous so i read that book quite a long time ago because i was yeah. asked to do that um but yeah brilliant and I, th- and I think that book's doing very very well for simon yeah it's a fantastic um, book and me and simon have accidentally formed a 
a, a duo of some kind that we're taking on the road i don't know how this has happened but i think because we both have books out you know relatively near each other we've we're always doing events together so we're doing bristol at the end of the month with william hussey which would be great um we're doing edinburgh together so we're just getting carted off all over the place together it's like a ya super group doing <laughs> Absolutely. What what more could you want? A YA gay supergroup to be carted off around the country. Um, I think that's fantastic. Very exciting. I was going to ask you about events in a moment, so maybe we can mm-hmm. go into that in a little bit more detail. Um, the, the sort of last question I have on other people's books is uh-huh. if you had to pick one queer book from all time that okay. you love or is really important to you for some reason, what would it be? Oh, my God. Uh, wow, that is a big question. Um, if I had to pick any queer book of all time, yeah, yeah, doesn't have to be recent, it can be anything. Ooh. Well, now that we've obviously now that I've just been throwing this question, I'm, all I can think <laughs> of is is recent books that I've read, none of which feel like the huge gravitas of. I, I feel like question. I should be saying like a, a Shakespeare or something, but obviously that's not it's not gay. Um, no, right, I would probably. I would have said Gay Club if I hadn't just said it. But do you know what I would say? I would actually say it is a recent read that I had, but I always recommend it. Um, I absolutely love um, Ace of Spades by Frida BK Amide. Um, not the tip, maybe not the typical book you choose for like a queer pick, but um, you know it has queer characters in it. It has a queer plotline throughout. And I know it's recent, but it was when I read it, I just fell in love with that world, the, with the writing, and the characters are so memorable. Um, I absolutely love Frida as well. I think she's so talented. So I would say uh, Ace of Spades. Well, there you go. You got, we, got there, we got on there in the end. And this is one of those questions that I should have sent you in advance because oh, I appreciate that it is an enormous thing to suddenly pluck out of the air. And, and my favourite movie in the <laughs> say Titanic. <laughs> I, just, I say Jurassic Park is my favourite movie and I don't know if I do believe that but I've convinced myself that it is because I need that answer so frequently <laughs> no, I always just say Titanic and then I throw in Scream so that I just boggle everyone's mind by the range <laughs> um, I'd only seen Titanic very recently People, ah. one of those things that people go I can't believe you've never seen it and then wow oh, you are so lucky you said this while we were already recording because I would not have turned up for this interview if I'd known that before <laughs> it wasn't out of any kind of protest really it just I think probably time just didn't have the three hours or whatever I mean, it is yeah, to be fair that three hour slog is a, it's a, it's a tough one <laughs> alright Ben uh, finally my final question uh, you've touched on this a little bit but what's next for you have you got these events that are coming up but all also, what are you working on next? Oh, okay. So events-wise, there's quite a lot in the calendar, which I'm really excited about because obviously my first book, Me, My Dad, and the End of the Rainbow, um, came out during lockdown when all the shops were closed, which wasn't exactly how I anticipated my dreams coming true, but oh, well, never mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot in the calendar. I'm doing Edinburgh Festival in the end of August, which will be really, really fun. Um, I'm doing Bath Festival, which will be fun. I think that's in September. Um, there's a couple more festivals in there, but I don't know if they've been announced yet, so I'm not sure if I should say. Um, but yeah, and then we've got the panel with me, Simon James Green and William Hussey, which will be in Bristol Waterstones at the end of the month. So that'll be really, really fun. Um, and then in regards to what I'm working on now, I am back down in middle grade at the moment. So my uh, children's books, um, I'm working on something that has a 
fantasy element but it's still set in the real world so it's a bit different from my first two but um i'm really looking forward to um trying something new and seeing what people think i've really enjoyed exploring uh something that is a little bit not my usual so i'm really really enjoyed kind of getting to grips with that and then i will be doing another ya mystery thriller um I don't know how much I should say on that because it's very early <laughs> stages. Uh, but who knows? Maybe it will use some of my professional background as expertise for uh, for, for the book. But I won't, I, won't, I won't stress anymore. What well, what we can do is we can do a bit of jigsaw putting together the clues which we've littered throughout this interview. Um, watch this space. Uh, ben, if people do want to keep up to date with you, find out about those events and all of your books, where can they find you online? You can find me online pretty much anywhere at Not Again Ben. That has been my my app for far too long at this point but yeah instagram twitter tiktok well tiktok if you want to come and just laugh at me trying to keep up with the gen z is but <laughs> uh, i feel exactly the same i <laughs> i sort of dipped my toes in the waters of tiktok a few months ago and it required an enormous amount of time um, i mean the fact that not to sound like i'm 104 because i'm not i'm only 28 but i think um i the kids these days just have like they're suddenly like producers and directors and just from doing tiktok videos they're editors i'm like how are you doing all this so quickly <laughs> i know i just become consumed with embarrassment when i do things like that i put it i get brave put it out there and then i'm still thinking about the thing i put up three months ago now you know, <laughs> I, I need to let go <laughs> big set and i just, just lose hours of my life on tiktok yeah oh uh, yeah i have to avoid that a little bit just for you know maintaining various things like <laughs> jobs work <laughs> eating um all right ben thank you so much for your time it's been uh real fun to talk about the king is dead um thank you so much which i love and everyone should go out and get because we want that sequel um <laughs> And I would love to talk to you again soon about whatever's coming up. Absolutely. You just try and keep me away. I'll be here every week. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Ben. Lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you too. See you later. You're listening to the Queerly Books Podcast with Rob Gillett. Benjamin Dean on the Queerly Books Podcast. A big thanks to Ben for joining me. After our interview, I discovered a fascinating fact about his career as a showbiz journalist. Apparently, he broke the story that Rihanna can't wink. Anyway, The King is Dead is out now in the UK and will be released in the US next year. Next week on the show, I'm joined by Henry Fry to discuss his hilarious debut, First Time for Everything, which is described as Bridget Jones, but make it gayer. Don't miss that. Subscribe or follow the podcast now wherever you listen. And I'll see you next time on the Queerly Books podcast. Queerly Books.